and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Zoe Routh, I am so excited to have you on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Jules, it's a pleasure. Great to be here. (laughs) Well, I am dying to hear about everything that you're doing, and I know you've just released a book, but let's start with what is it that you do and why? (laughs) Nice small question. Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm a leadership expert. I specialize in the people stuff. So I work with leaders who stay up late late at night worrying about the tensions between Susan and Frank or how George isn't performing or how uh, Cheryl is just backbiting people. So those irritating, nasty things that can really drag you down. That's what I do as I do some work with teams and leaders around that. I show them the match and frameworks of so they can understand the issues better and then take action to solve them. So that's in a nutshell what I do. People dynamics in leadership. And so the next question is, why do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Another small question. (laughs) Well, I started working with people when I was quite young. I was 17. And my first job that was totally people development oriented was as a summer camp counselor in Canada. And uh, I fell in love with hanging out with groups and helping groups to come together and work well together. And at that kind of pivotal period of my life, I really fell in love with two things, really. So it was the people dynamics, first of all. And the second piece of the puzzle was working with groups in the outdoors. And that was a theme for the first 20, 30 years of my career. So why do I do what I do is I think we spend a lot of time at work and we should enjoy what we do and who we do it with. Oh, I love it. I love your reason. And as you're saying that, I think I think you're about the third person I've spoken to that is from either America or Canada where you have summer camps. It makes me feel like we really miss something in Australia by not doing that because uh, you all learn so much, don't you, over there in, in, in those kind of roles where you are at a young age managing people and understanding all that people stuff. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, at the at the 17 is when I started that work. And to have the responsibility for eight kids who are anywhere between the ages of uh, eight and 16 in residence on an island for two weeks. So, do, so you're responsible for those eight kids for the whole two weeks? Oh, yeah. All yeah. right. And yeah. do you sort of sleep in the room with them? Is that yeah. how it works? Oh, yeah. right. Yep. Wow. <laughs> you wow, get one amazing. night off in the two weeks where you can go into town and do your laundry and hang out. Um, right, but I guess but you're too it. young you're to go You're with them day out. in, day out for the whole and, time. And too young to go out uh, carousing. So, so I guess they know that That's got a pretty nice important piece of it. So you get a lot of responsibility and, uh, early on. Messy and not be around and, the next um, morning. It's quite formidable, actually, <laughs> to learn how to do that. So yeah, yeah, you want to avoid that. That's for sure. (laughs) So was there a light bulb moment? Was there something that actually happened that made you set up your consultancy? Um, Did something happen in your life or has it just been a gradual growing of your skills and moving into that space? No, it was a bit of a light bulb moment. Um, I think everything was sort of heading in that direction unknowingly. I had no aspirations to run a business ever. And there was, there was, there was kind of a seeding point and then a turning point. And the seeding okay. point was I was working with um, 
at Outward Bound, and I was head of the training department, and we were going through accreditation to become a registered training organization. I was responsible for putting all the systems in place, and we were about to get assessed and audited for, for that. And my boss came down to check out everything we had laid out, and she was, she was wandering through it all, and she goes, you're very good at this. You should really run your own business. And it kind of ah. took, me, took me by surprise. I'm like, whoa, I had never, ever, ever contemplated that before. So that kind of sat with me and germinated a little bit, I guess, but I didn't really nurture that until maybe a year or two later, I had hired my own executive coach. I was on the senior executive at our rebound. My boss had a coach and she was getting great insights as a result. I'm like, I want that too. And I was struggling in my role and finding it challenging. And I wanted to figure out how to do the executive thing. So I hired an executive coach and the frameworks and feedback that he took me through were just at the time, I felt absolutely mind-blowing. And I developed substantially as a human, let alone as a professional through that. And I thought, this is an amazing professional development, a personal development modality. I want to do this. So I decided, like, I want to be an executive coach and run my own business. Now, in my mind, those two things were one. Right. (laughs) The reality was... They're two very different things to be an executive coach and to run a successful business or practice completely different. And uh, the reality soon set in. (laughs) Well, I think that's true. There's a lot of people who become excel in a particular area and then get into business on their own and forget that they've actually got to run the business. It's not just about them being good at what they're good at. You know, like, I mean, I teach people how to do PR, but that doesn't make me a great business person. You know, it's, it's, it's all kind of part of the journey. But anyway, speaking of journeys, I want to hear all about your whole career and how it has unfolded. So can you take me back to you as 17 at summer camp and how your career's unfolded since then? Sure. I think summer camp was (laughs) the highlight of my year, absolutely, for nine years. So every year I just waited and waited and waited for summer to come around where I could go and do this amazing, fun work. And we got paid peanuts and it was hard work and you only got a day and a half off every two weeks and didn't matter because it was so fun. Uh, so so as, can I just ask you then, if, yeah. if you did it for nine years, are you allowed to do it into your 20s or do you have to or did you do that at, for nine years during school? How does it no. work? Oh, so I started at 17 and right. I'm not sure what the regulations are now, whether you actually have to be an adult first, like 18. Um, absolutely. We did it into our 20s. By the time I left my last year there, I turned 26, which was older than many. Right. <laughs> They're kind of in the sort of 18 to 20 year zone. Though okay. some American camps have have people who are much older. I have a, a friend who's Australian who went yeah. back to work at her summer camp in her 40s. And that was right. the norm. It certainly wasn't the norm where I worked. It was certainly like at 26. So that was the kids guiding the kids is, is kind of the, the overall idea with some exceptions. Is that sort of how it works? Oh, I don't know if I could speak uni- like uniformly across the entire sector. Um, certainly my experience at that <laughs> particular it, summer camp. to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at our camp. At our camp, it was younger people. So people in their right. early 20s ran the show, essentially. Um, so after, okay. So, so, after, what you, um, so what were you doing um, when you left school and uh, other than the summer camps? Did you go to uni? I did. So 
after high school, I moved from Winnipeg to Montreal and went to McGill University. So during the winter, autumn and winter, yeah. I did university and just hung out and waited for summer to roll around. <laughs> so that took forever. And I took a year off in the middle of uni because I wasn't enjoying my degree. Oh, and okay. What degree back were you doing? I was doing, I started off studying uh, education. And I really did not like the way they were approaching education at McGill. So I got out of that after a year and a half and went into a general arts degree, did honors English literature. So I was studying honors English literature and kind of just struggling my way through that. I couldn't see the point of it, to be honest. It was <laughs> like, once you learned how to write, read a book and write an essay, that was essentially all you did in an English literature degree. It was just different topics. I'm like, well, I know yeah, how to right. do this now. Now I just have to write an honor thesis. It's just a longer essay on a, on a couple of books. <laughs> so I was very really right. disparaging of my university experience and I got a little bit disengaged. So, but I, I'm a finisher, I guess, or good I woman <laughs> decided to be a finisher. I didn't really particularly want to, but I thought, frick it, I better finish this sucker off. So it took me yeah. eight years from start to finish to get it done because I did right. it part time. <laughs> I can tell how disengaged you were then. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't even go to my award ceremony, nothing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, got my yeah, degree. Done. Hurrah. Check that box. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was a bit so, like that. So what did you want to do when you finished? What did you, what do you do with a, with a you know, degree in English literature well, other than I teach? The pivotal point at that point was, well, do I continue in academics and get a master's and PhD and teach this thing? And I had a realization and it was at summer camp. I'm like, I love the work that I do in the outdoors. And this feels like real life, whereas English literature feels like reading about people having yeah. a life. And I thought, I want to have a life, not just read about people having a life. So I researched about where I could do outdoor experiential ed year round. And that took me to... Um, Australia, where I had a friend who who had come, who came to Australia to work for Outward Bound and talked about it. I'm like, wow, that sounds amazing. And you can do this outdoorsy work year round. I thought this is perfect. People doing work so, with people in the outdoors. So tell me, what is Outward Bound? I don't know that I've heard of it. Uh, Outward Bound is a not-for-profit organization that has mm -hmm. um, chapters, schools around the world, and they have one in Australia. And its focus is about helping people learn about themselves and teams. So it's personal development, leadership development in the outdoors. So in Australia, you do multi-day adventure activities such as bushwalking, some river activities, rock climbing, ropes course, that kind of thing, wow. where you have this amazing adventure with a group of people. And it's really to explore who you are as an individual and how you can come together and work collectively as a team to overcome amazing obstacles and produce amazing results. So you kind of test your metal, if you like. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like some of the sort of school excursions that we used to do, you know, for a week, maybe where we'd go somewhere. So so your Aussie friend or your friend who was working at Atwood Band here said, come over. Was it hard to get into Australia? <laughs> Well, initially I applied <laughs> to. Um, laughing? <laughs> I'm laughing because initially I, I wanted to work at Outward Bound New Zealand. I'd fallen right. in love with a Kiwi guy the year before. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go to New Zealand and see if there's a future in this relationship or at least I'm closer. So I rang up Outward Bound New Zealand, had no idea about time zones and called oh, them at gosh. 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah, tell me someone answered. They did. <laughs> no. They did. They did answer and they sounded a bit groggy. I'm like, oh, what's going on? And they said, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, oh, my God, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I felt like such an idiot. <laughs> anyway, they were courteous enough to keep me to answer my questions, which is, 
how do I apply there? And what are the requirements? So they told me, well, we need a two year commitment. And that sounded like forever. I'm like two years. I can't do that. Um, right. And then I was too mortified after I hung up the phone to pursue it. <laughs> so I went, <laughs> Australia's close. I'll, I'll try there and made sure I got the time zone correctly um, calculated before I rang them up. And they only right. wanted 13 months to apply. So I put in an application and because I had nine years working a summer camp, leading canoe trips across Northwest Ontario, I was a, a very skilled outdoor leader already. And so they say, yep, you can come on board. We've got a visa for you for 13 months. And that okay, sounded so like a long time. So does that woodbound traditionally take in kids or kids who are going to lead from other countries? Is that is that a normal practice for them? I, I, I um, while I was there, there was there was a handful of people every year who would come on board and work at Outward Bound Australia right. uh, who were experienced already. Uh, largely this, the workforce is staffed by Australians. Yeah. And when I was there, I set up the instructor training school. So we'd recruit people into the organization and train them up. And they got a certificate for an outdoor recreation, nationally recognized competencies, and were skilled up to lead uh, groups in the wilderness across many different activities. Uh, so there's a bit sounds, of mixture. It just sounds so fantastic. I can't believe I haven't heard of it before. I've got three boys. I feel like they all need <laughs> to go and join now. So so you got into Australia. How was, it, how was that? What, did it seem very different or did it seem strangely comfortable after Canada? No, it was very different. Um, the This is my first day in Australia. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, my friend at summer camp, the camp director, as a parting gift, had booked me into the Hyatt for my first night in Australia. So he's like, right. yeah. I'm like, wow, that's pretty fancy. Having worked at not-for-profits for 20 years, or <laughs> however long it was at that point, 10 years, I think. I was like, whoa, this is a luxury hotel. And so the people at Our Bound found out that the new girl coming on board was oh, no. spending a night at the Hyatt. And they thought, wow, that's cool. So they immediately organized a, a a welcoming party to meet me uh, and to take me back out to the national base the next day. So my first night in Australia, I met all these great Australians and they were super fun. And the woman who was going to drive me out the next day crashed, <laughs> crashed in my <laughs> hotel room with me. <laughs> well, that's bonding for you. Yeah. And uh, the next day, uh, I got up for a, a quick walk around the lake um, here in Canberra and I was struck by a couple of things. I noticed that the trees had all this bark peeling off them. I'm like, oh, my goodness, these trees are all sick. What's going on in the city? Oh, yeah, the gum trees. <laughs> the gum trees. And I found out later, of course, they're not sick. That's just what gum trees That's did. Just, yeah, yeah. So I thought the trees were all dying. And then I heard this. And I thought, oh, my God, there's monkeys in Australia. I had no idea. <laughs> you thought the cockatoos, the kookaburras were monkeys. That's so I funny. I did. Yeah, I did. They're like, that's not a monkey. That's a kookaburra. And then I couldn't pronounce kookaburra properly. So I got started getting teased for that. Of course, oh, being well, as a fun. Canadian, my accent was ripe for teasing. And <laughs> started. Do you know, I can relate. I, when I moved to Australia as tw at 12, I had a really plummy English accent. And, uh, yeah, got a lot of teasing for that as well. So, But Aussies like a bit of ribbing, don't they? But really, um, you know, I think they're, they're very normally anyway, very sort of warm and welcoming towards overseas people. So, so you did your 13 months with Outbound? Yeah. So I was 13 months rolled around and I realized I'm kind of enjoying it here. I'm wondering, can I stay? So we extended my visa for another two yeah. years and then we extended it again until we ran out of four, five, six visa. And it's like, oh, I've used up the maximum allowance. So I just kept extending it. And then this 
Outward Bound agreed to sponsor my residency. So that was a whole other show. And it took forever. And I thought they were going to reject it because they were challenging me. Like, what does an English literature degree have to do with your work (laughs) in the outdoors? I'm like, let me sharpen my pen because this is exactly what it can do. It can explain anything away. You learn how to do rational (laughs) explanations for things. So uh, my friends who were from the UK had also been sponsored and they we put our applications in the same time and they got accepted. And I still hadn't heard anything. I'm like, that's it. They're going to reject me. I'm going to have to go back to Canada. Oh, so I was kind of contemplating how do I hand over the job and et cetera. And then it came through. They let me in. I could stay. I was a resident. Yay. Good. Well, I'm very glad you got to stay. So, so by this stage, were you 26, 27 or, or older or younger or? So I arrived in Australia at age of 26. Um, and then by the time I'm getting my residency sponsored, I was close to, I was 30. Yeah. Okay. 30, and, yeah, 30. And so what were you doing in business for that time? Were, were you working anywhere else or was that a full-time job? It was a full-time job. So I was at, I worked at Our Bound for nine years. Um, wow. There was a year hiatus in the middle. And what had happened is, um, so I got, I hired a coach in 2000. That was kind of like this, the, the starting point of starting my own business. And mm-hmm. in two, from 2000 to 2002, um, I worked with him and started deciding that I was going to be an executive coach and then decided in 2002, I'm going to start my own business. And I started taking clients on the side. So I did this part-time on the side while I was working at Outward Bound. Yep. And Outward Bound also agreed to let me coach for practice some of the managers around, um, around National Bay. So I was getting kind of winding up to go out on my own. And then in 2004, 2004, I think it was, I went full-time. That's it. Left Outward Bound, went full-time into coaching and probably- Were you scared? Were you scared or were you totally up for it? Oh, I was dead keen and super excited um, and willing to hustle my ass off. And I did that and got nowhere. Like it just couldn't make, I couldn't get enough clients. I was going backwards financially. And then- I got sick. I got sick with cancer in the middle of that first 12 oh, months out Zoe. of my own. Yeah. Golly. <laughs> so that kind oh, of just I'm went. so far from home as well. So, yep. right. So how did that affect everything? And, and I, I can, well, you're, I'm very pleased to see you're still here. So <laughs> I assume that you managed to recover and, and I guess it taught you some stuff. So tell me all yeah. about well, how that all unfolded. Yeah, is it was cervical cancer, a rare form of it, and advanced stages, and they did oh, um, intense surgery. So um, they took everything out except for the uterus and ovaries, which was actually major abdominal surgery. I was in hospital for a week. They found cancer in one of the lymph nodes, which meant that's it. You got to do chemo. So, and it was pretty intense chemo. Like every chemo treatment. It is different for each type of cancer. I didn't know any of this before. No, I don't know any of it. Yeah. I, hope, I actually hope I don't intimately get to know it, but tell oh. me all. So, so horrible, horrible, it's a horrible sort of treatment as well. Yeah, yeah. So really before my you. surgery, I kind of let all my clients know I'm going to be out of action for a while. <laughs> and some of them I referred on to other people, but essentially shut my business down um, because I just couldn't yeah, do enough. anything. So um I was living with my fiance at the time. So the week before I got diagnosed with cancer, we got engaged. And so this, oh there's this parallel God, journey. Timing. <laughs> yeah. My right. mom remembers it as one phone call. It was actually two. You know, it was the first one I was like, Hey, we're married. And then the next week was, Hey, 
Um, I've got cancer. <laughs> um, uh, so we decided to go ahead with the wedding and yeah. knowing that um, we'd have something to look forward to. So May was my surgery. December was the wedding. And so we planned the wedding in between doctor's trips, chemo trips, which actually made decision making a lot easier because you just cut away all the fluff and bubble. Like you just don't get stressed out about mini stuff, like little stuff. It's like, you, yep. You weren't, well, you, you weren't a bridezilla, shall we say. Nah, it was kind of like <laughs> that venue will do. Those invitations will do. I don't really like it. I'm not going to sweat the small stuff on this. I got other stuff yeah. to handle. So we made it through cancer and chemo um, and came out the other end of that and got married in December to my beautiful, lovely Australian husband. Um, and then at, after all that finished, we decided or I decided like, OK, start up the business again. Yeehaw. Yeah. And uh, struggled with that. So I went back to Outward Bound. They had a position open they needed some help with. And so I went back to work for them one day, one or two days a week. I can't remember exactly. It was part time right. anyway. And did it, did that for a year and went, no, nah, I've got to go. Like I've got this, I got to make this business work. I'm really hankering for it. Like I really yeah. want to give it a good red hot go. So I le left finally Outward Bound in 2006. And for two more years, still recovering from cancer, hobbled along trying to make this damn thing work. And I was it, really getting more and more depressed because it wasn't really working. It can and, just be so tough. I'm so glad oh, you're saying this, actually, it's because so hard. for all the women that are listening, you know, it isn't always super easy. And especially <laughs> when you don't understand things like marketing and That's right. all that other stuff that you have to do. And I love it that you kept going. So oh, yeah. how did you turn the corner? Well, I, I took a job at that at, at 2009. I'm like, I need right. to, I need a break from the pressure of trying to make ends meet. And um, so I took a job at the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation and asked if I could work on my business on one day a week. So I went back part time, went to work part time for them and did that on the side. And that yep. was a fantastic five years. I learned so much about leadership and people and got exposed to some amazing industries and regions around Australia. And um, I professionally and personally flourished as a result. And at the same time, I just it was gnawing away at me that I just needed to make my business work. Like it had been yeah. what 2009, seven or eight years, 10 years almost since I started it. I'm like, ah, you know, I knew I had it in me. And so many times I want to say just, it was too hard to try and balance the two. I was exhausted. I'm like, I just close down inner compass and leave it. And yeah. then something within me go, no, don't do it. So in 2014, um, the, the, the turning point came, I decided that's it. I'm leaving my job. I'm going full time in this. And I knew what I really needed was a structure and an accountability and a community to help me build this. I needed somebody who knew how to do this kind of thing and doing this yeah. kind of work. And I found that in Thought Leaders Business School. And that was oh, a massive okay. turning point for me. Right. Huge, huge. So with them, I found it, it spoke, it spoke to what I was doing. So their whole premise is you take, you take clever people, help them be commercially smart. I'm like, that's me. <laughs> I need to be commercially smart. <laughs> Maybe right. I'm clever, but I definitely need to learn the commercially smart piece. And their business approach was really sensible. Uh, I liked the founder. I liked the CEO. They made a, they were really supportive. They had a whole curriculum behind them and they had people who were just nailing it in terms of commercial success. I'm like, wow, I could do that. And uh, 
So I hustled to get the tuition fee together, which was substantial at the time, yeah. and showed up in February 2015 as a brand new student ready to kick <laughs> some goals. And I worked it. I worked it so hard. And it has been, I'm still there as now on faculty. So I was a student for three and a half years and then became faculty. Wow. And that's been a substantial piece of the puzzle. So I learned about sales. I learned about marketing. I learned about how to package my services. I learned how to develop my own thinking. I learned how to write books. <laughs> right. Wow. Amazing. So if I was to say to you, were there two or three things that you learned there that might help some other women that might be a bit stuck in their growth? Have you got any sort of tips that you can share from that particular period from learning or from being with thought leaders? Because I've heard of it. I, I I don't know it really, really well. I think I've got one of the books that's been written by them. Mm -hmm. Um because they're very much about the person being a practice, aren't they? About That's right. Is that about build yourself and and what I also really loved about them, what I've read about them is don't rely on that. Also build on the side, you know, your future and your retirement and all that kind of thing. So there's a fundamental difference. They encourage people that you need to make a decision. Are you running a business or are you running a practice? And that's one of the first primary decisions. The decision to run a business means that you are going to be focusing on building an asset that you can sell. And that's yes. it, kind of you're, you're building towards an exit strategy. That's very different to running a practice. The practice is all about making hay while the sun shines. So right. you build up your expertise, the quality of your offerings, make as much money as you can and invest uh, outside of that um, outside of the practice so they can build up your own personal assets. So you're not going to sell anything at the end. There's not going to yeah. be someone to buy zoerouth.com. Once I'm done, it's done. Um, I'll have legacy work in terms of the books that I produce and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But the whole primary idea is that you, that's what you're doing. You're going light and um, resource resource light. So you, all of us only have a small team with one or two other people working with us. Yeah. Uh, we might have a leverage mo model at some point where we have contractors come in and deliver our IP. But the primary premise is develop your own intellectual property, um, charge well, because what you're offering is very specific and well thought out. And yeah. you take the, the profits from that and invest it to build up your own asset base. So that's the I first primary decision. It's I quite love different. that model, actually, rather than uh, it's the only group that I've ever heard of that does talk about building up your assets outside of your primary business, which I love. And also, until I had heard of Thought Leaders, I'd never really thought of the difference between a practice and a business. So, um, okay, so you followed those models and obviously it started to work. It did. Yeah. Yeah. So you asked it like, what's the key piece of advice? I yeah. think make that first decision. What are you doing? Are you building a business? Are you building a practice? Because some people are building businesses. They're, they're selling retail or they're doing something like that. If you're yeah. doing professional services, then it's likely that you're, you're running a practice. Um, so I think if you're, if that's true, if you're running a practice, then, then you can go all in on some of the other key strategies and the, the business model in terms of, and it's a very simple one is that you take your intellectual property and you look at it as a cluster and we define a cluster as, uh, your message, like what is a yeah. particular area of IP you're developing the market? Who are you going to sell that to? Which grouping of people that will find it useful and helpful mm -hmm. and mode or method? How are you going to deliver that? And there's six primary modes. There's speaking, authoring, mentoring, coaching, facilitating, and training. And right. you just rejig that model across all of your IP, across different markets, and you have an endless 
opportunities to roll out your intellectual property. Uh, so the business model is quite simple. You know, you want a successful cluster earns you $10,000 a month. Yep. Gross, not net. Um, yep. And if you have six of those, you're doing very well. <laughs> That's right. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I love it. It's just so sort of, it's, it just makes enormous sense. So um, with them, you started to grow your own consultancy. That's right. So I didn't know. I just, just tried so many different things. And the clarity took about three years to come right. to reduce down my focus in terms of who do I really want to work with? What are the my topic areas that I'm really good at? And how can I make that work commercially? So it takes a while to get established. One of the things I did pretty quickly into my journey in the first six months at business school is write my first book. So I produced a book in the first six months I was there. Which was scary. Wow. I mean, yeah, mm. I know. Everybody always feels such a huge sense of achievement when they've written their book as well. So mm. six months, that's pretty fast. Yeah, it was. And that boosted my, first of all, my confidence and then my credibility. So that that was really helpful. Um, so I continued to do work the cluster strategy, develop my IP and write books. So my book that came out in June, July of this year was is my fourth book. Uh, people stuff. And yep. it's been, it's been very successful. Um, we just won book of the year with this one at the Australian business book awards. <laughs> that is amazing. That is such a huge congratulations. So what's it all about? Tell me. <laughs> well, it's called people stuff beyond personality problems, an advanced handbook for leadership. Right. And at its essence, it's about perspective. And the problem I really wanted to solve was when people are, when leaders are up late at night worrying about their common people dynamics, what are some practical patterns and maps I can give them solutions to help unpack what's going on? And the real insight is to learn how to see things differently. And so the book is about unpacking that. What is the practice of perspective so you can hone your strategic insight? Then yep. how can we look at ourselves and change our perspective on us? Then how can we look at the interesting people dynamics that we see around us and make choices to help improve that? And then the third last piece is about the bigger picture. How can we look at the bigger picture to get a greater sense of what we're trying to do as leaders? And that's right. in a nutshell, the book. Fantastic. So what, what have you done with the book so far? Do you run sessions around people stuff for business leaders? Do you do talks? Are you doing all of the above? What have, what, how have you leveraged it? Uh, all of the above. So I ran several <laughs> series of webcasts over the winter uh, through COVID-19 yes, in particular. We, we, I might just position this just for anybody that's listening, that we are kind of, uh, you're in Sydney actually, aren't you? So in Melbourne, we're out of lockdown. It's towards the end of 2020. We're actually creeping up to Christmas very fast. And boy, oh boy, has it been a crazy year. So you started doing your, your talks online. You would have had yes, to. I did. Yes. And I'm actually in Canberra. So we were very fortunate in terms of our exposure to COVID. Um, yeah. We were pretty much allowed out of lockdown and didn't go backwards from June. So very different experience to many other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of in a COVID happy bubble here in Canberra. So, yeah, I started running. Regardless, I was running a webinar series. Uh, yeah. I got booked to do online speaking gigs at online events. So a lot of the event managers were turning their events into online Zoom events. events so I, yep. Yeah. So I was doing lots of speaking and lots of uh, training on on sites. And then I got booked to do some training with different clients face to face, which was like, oh, it was like a Real Pepsi people. in the desert. 
after, after that, yeah. <laughs> That's actually a really good description. With, with She's the Boss, we just did uh, over the whole of the lockdown, I've been doing Friday lunches with female founders. And last Friday was, and, and for anyone who's listening, it's now Monday, was the first time that those of us who'd been meeting for eight months every week got to meet each other. And it, it's it's wow. great. But I mean, you know, we all adapted, I guess, and, and it, it provided other opportunities as well as um, disadvantages. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I've heard from my friends in Melbourne who have just started doing training face-to-face again. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, it's exhausting because yeah. they've been so removed <laughs> from people for so long. It is. It was taking a massive toll on their energy levels, just being all that stimulation of other humans yeah, around always you. Always being switched on. Mm. That's right. So, um, so talk to me a little bit now. I don't know if there are any women that have particularly helped you, but I always like to ask the question as we're all about empowering women around us. Um, have there been some women, significant women that have helped you along the way in your business life that, um, that you'd be up for doing a shout out to tell us what they've done and who they are? Sure. Uh, probably the first one is my mom. She's always like <laughs> yes. number one cheerleader. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. You're very so, lucky always count on my mom to be so extremely happy and proud of what I do. Uh, The next one was probably my first boss at summer camp when I was 17. When you you were saying that it was a woman before I was thinking that's going to be one of the significant women. So um, what did she actually do? Kelly Pickin, it was her name. She was an extraordinarily tall, wild redhead with a huge personality and a legend. So she took out. Sounds fabulous. She is. She took out four six-week canoe trips, which is unbelievable um, through the course of her journey. She was so committed and passionate about camp and outdoor education. So she went on to work at Outward Bound Canada, and I went and visited her there at at one time. So her, she encouraged me, first of all, to apply to work at summer camp. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll, I'll apply. Because this is a kind of sliding doors moment. I was going to work in the city and save up and buy a car. That was my plan until she's like, (laughs) you should apply for camp. I'm like, oh, okay. So I applied for camp and I was like, I don't know how to work with kids. I got no idea. And then fell into it and loved it. Um, so and she, she was the one who said to you, you should start a business. No, that was oh, a different, okay. that was Sorry, a different leader. Yep. So that was my boss at summer camp. And then at Outward Bound, Sam Robinson was my boss there. And she's the one who said you should start a business. And she planted that little seed for me for sure. So she was a significant encourager, if you like. And then at Thought Leaders, um, so many amazing female leaders there, very accomplished professionals that I admire and respected and were encouraging. Gabrielle Dolan is one of them. She's always oh, yes. been a huge I model. Know She's, oh, do you? She's awesome. Yes. I did some PR for her many years ago when she had a business called A Thousand and One Stories. Oh, right. She, ran. <laughs> she, um, she wrote the quote that's on the cover of my latest book, People oh, Stuff. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So she's one of my mentors there. Oh, there's so many, like Georgia Merch, uh, Jackie Scammell, um, Lynn Kazali, who did the illustrations for my book and the cover, which was a finalist in the best cover design for the business book awards. She's wow, you awesome. You just really cleaned up those awards, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I got four essentially. So book of the year, I won yeah. the manager and management and HR category finalist in leadership and finalist in a book cover design. So it was, was just overwhelming. So amazing. Huge congratulations. <laughs> so along the way in, so now I'm talking about when you, since you've been running your consultancy, have there been some, 
Well, I like to call them pivotal moments, even though we hate the word pivot these days. But (laughs) you know when things can kind of stuff up, I guess, and you think, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And then you look back on it later and and you have to make some changes in order to be able to keep going. Mm -hmm. And then you look back on it later and you go, wow, that actually was a real gift in some ways. And I know for me there have been a few of them um, where it could have been an absolute disaster and I've kind of been frozen and then I've turned in another direction and gone, well, I actually really love doing this. Have you had anything like that happen in your career? I mentioned some of them already. You know, cancer was a big sort of like, this is not going to work. I guess the the other ones, not so much during my my consultancy since I started doing it through thought leaders, no massive disasters, plenty of kind of like red-faced moments, I guess. Um, (laughs) Can you share one with me? Give me a red-faced moment. So I ran this event called the Edge of Leadership on Conference, and I was – it was a big move. Like it was a big move into uh, being more visible. And it was something I struggled with. I was really nervous about being more visible and had the imposter syndrome thing happening. And even my third year of running, I was still nervous about being visible. And I was working with um, one of my mentors and he said, what are you really nervous about? I'm like, I'm afraid someone is going to hate it and be angry and criticize me. He's like, great, let's visualize that. I'm like, no, I don't want to visualize that. He's like, yes, let's do it. Let's rehearse that moment. I'm like, ugh. So we did. We rehearsed somebody being so angry and pissed off and miserable. And he's like, right. What we do with that is we take that energy and we just turn it around and let it go. So we use that as fuel to be better. And we just remember that whatever's going on, it's about them, not you. So just say, thank you for the feedback and redirect it. Don't try and argue the point. I'm like, okay. So what happened at that event? The exact thing happened. I'm like, oh my God. But I was ready. I was so ready. I'm like, that guy is not happy. So he came up to me. He was quite agitated. And he was upset because we had a photographer there. And he felt that we were, uh, the photographer was intrusive. And the whole (laughs) event was just about getting publicity for me, which is not true at all. But there's always one, isn't there? So what did you do with him? (laughs) I said, thank you for your feedback. And I addressed it with that. I went over to the cameraman. I said, do not take photos of that gentleman. Any photos you have taken of him, we are not publishing them. them. Yeah. So, and he's, and that, and that's how I resolved it. I'm like, I understand. Photographer's still there going to do his thing. He had a particular (laughs) image about what it was, um, it was try- I was trying to do with it. Yeah, that's his perception. But we protected him, looked after it, and I'm like, wow, I survived a criticizing moment. So that was kind of well that was done. kind of a, one moment. And I guess the other the other moment was I've been slogging away at a particular revenue level for a good year and a half. At that point, I'm like, I just can't break through the next level, and. And I was hustling my butt off and I was working my butt off. I'm like, I need to really learn how to do sales like that. I felt that was a really big missing piece of the puzzle. And I found my next mentor who uh, was also part of the business school community. Her name is Rachel Burke and she is a sales expert. And I went and did her um, her first three day introduction, then signed up to do her 12 month uh, mentoring program. And that that was that accelerated things. So that was just, I jumped through a couple levels in six months working with her and I'm still working with her now. So that was a significant uh, difference to me. So working with another fabulous female mentor was a big 
That's uh, turning fantastic. point for me. Because I do think that sales for women, sales can be a really hard obstacle to overcome. Um, and I know that we've got a couple of women in the group that teach people how to do sales. And I, you know, it's so funny. Years ago, I used to do sales, but now it's so hard when it's yourself. And you really <laughs> do need those skills and techniques, don't you, to kind of, you know, I don't know, object, make it more objective and, and, and less personal. And then it's much easier to sell it. Oh, you, yeah, because what you're selling is a journey that they can go on. That's right. Um, that's how I see it. Like, this is the journey I've crafted. This this is the kind of things I need from you. If you want to go on that journey, it's over to you. Um, do you want to go on this? And the other things I learned with Rachel is about fine-tuning my messaging so that it lands, it's punchy, it's memorable, and it's in service to the person I'm speaking with. Uh, yeah. So you don't try and manipulate anybody at all. Like it's not at all that. It's about no. being cleaner and more focused on the person you're speaking to and what they need and what they need to, to take their own world to the next level. And that's, I enjoy it now. I think that's, yeah, I think it's an I honor to do it. A big turning point for me was the idea of rather than going and saying, this is what I can do for you. Say, so what are you, what are you looking for? How do you, how do you look, need help? And then by the time they finish telling you, you can then, say, well, this is how I can fit into what it is that you need. It's, um, but it is a skill and it's a, and it's a hard thing to overcome. So, um, that's great that it works so well for you. So, um, now in terms of your everyday life, how does work fit into it? Because it's something that you love and because it's all about you, Mm. do you find that it all just blends into the days and the nights blend into each other, depending on what you need to do? Or do you set firm boundaries where you go, no weekends and after six, I don't work or, or how does it work for you? Uh, For me, I establish boundaries based on my energy levels. So I know nothing productive happens from my brain after 6 p.m. So it's like, nah, I'm done. (laughs) I'm done in the evening and I'll make dinner and hang out with my husband, maybe watch a little TV, maybe read a book. And that's it. Like there's I'm not doing anything useful and productive in the practice after six Um, throughout the rest of the week. So I've I've tried to structure it so I can maximize my energy. And so my usual practice is Mondays is for sales call and outreach. Fridays is for IP development and uh, tying up loose ends. And delivery is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's sort of the general pattern I really want to have. Um, Now, there are exceptions. So, for example, (laughs) it's Monday today and we, we ran a workshop Monday, Monday. And that's rare that a client wants Monday for, for their delivery. It just so happens in their industry that works best. So that's an exception, but mostly that's, I containerize it. That's the kind of rule of thumb. Yeah. Saturdays I consider sacred Saturdays. And what happens then is I go for a run on Saturday morning with my running club and have breakfast with my mates, come home and chill out. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's super important that you do that. So no, that sounds perfect. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you a really silly question and a journalist suggested I ask it and I absolutely love the answers I sometimes get, Uh, but no pressure at all. But is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing? Yeah. Great. Go for it. (laughs) It's how I like to eat pizza. Right. So I like pizza. I will eat with a fork all the toppings off the crust first and then eat the crust. (laughs) Wow. That's really crazy. So you treat it like a plate, eat everything off the top and then, and then munch through it afterwards. And do you use a knife and fork for the whole thing? 
No, I just use a fork to pick off the toppings and then pick up the crust after that. So I love it that you've got that tone in your voice. Like, don't be crazy, Jules. Of course I don't use a knife and fork. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great little, that's a very great quirk that you have. And then the last couple of questions are really not related to anything other than because I love my phone and I love apps. Some people do, some people don't. But if you do use your phone for business, are there a couple of apps that you've used that you'd be up for sharing? For business, um, depends what you think. So I, I love. No, you can't, I you're not allowed to do email or banking. I'm assuming that I'm taking that as a given. Oh yeah. But, so um, um, Audible for listening to audiobooks. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, Spotify and um, the iTunes podcasting platform to listening to podcasts. So this is the primary business ones that I use. Yeah. Um, Zoho has. Uh, an app that it so that integrates with my CRM platform and Zoho is like it's what a behemoth. It's it's a CRM plus plus plus. So it's got okay. a lot of it's all in one app store. We've just migrated to that, and that's got a really it's, so you can make phone calls through Zoho and it records. It prompts you to make a recording um, into your CRM saying, "I just spoke to Jules and this is what we talked about and these are her challenges and Ooh, this is a follow up task." That sounds good. Yeah. So Zoho, we're just learning how to make use of all of its abilities, but that's a pretty cool app. Yeah. yeah. So those are the, those are the primary ones that no, I use that, for business. That's great. So I'm going to go look up Zoho now. Um, and then what about for fun? Do you ever play on your phone? I play occasionally Boggle on my iPad. That's the only app oh, game I play. Yeah. It's a word game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love word games. I do words with friends, but I haven't explored Boggle, so I will. Um, well, listen, thank you so much, Zoe, for sharing your story with me. It's been fascinating. Um, if people want to buy your book or get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do that? So you can come to Planet Zoe, first of all, which is my website, <laughs> zoeroute.com. I love it. Well, it's not Planet Zoe. Don't oh, do Planet okay. Zoe. <laughs> it's zoerouth.com. So Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H.com. And I'm very active on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Right. Um, and to get the book, you can buy it through my website or any of the online retailers. And the audio book, by the time people are listening to this, should be well and truly out across many of the audio book platforms as well. Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and your time. Um, uh, I've just loved hearing all about you and what you're doing. You just sound amazing. So um, good luck with everything that you're doing. And I'm sure women, a lot of the women listening will get a lot out of this interview. So I really appreciate your sharing. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been I great. I hope you've enjoyed My this pleasure. episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au. She's the boss.